You're listening to the Heart and Soul Podcast with Katherine Banco. I'm on a mission to celebrate breakthrough, empowerment, and shameless living in the lives of women everywhere. Join me and let's live unashamed together. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Heart and Soul. Um, I am joined again today by Lizzie Brasco, who was on a few episodes ago. Um, she has her own private practice, an anti-diet dietitian called Transition Nutrition. Um, and she shared a little bit. It's like we touched on a lot of like many things in her life, but we kind of wanted to take today to dive a little bit deeper into her like specifics of her story with disordered eating. Um, and hope like we want to trigger warning if this is something that you're not ready to listen to yet, because maybe, um, it could, um, promote, um, negative behavior or negative mindset, then please skip this episode. But we are sharing this because the more we share our stories, the more women feel less alone. So, um, hopefully by hearing what Lizzie has been through, you can maybe relate to it in some way and feel like, okay, if Lizzie can get through it, then I can get through it sooner instead of having to go through the hard stuff. Like I can know how to like, look out for that and skip it. (laughs) So that's what we're hoping that these stories do, um, encouragement wise. So welcome back, Lizzie. Thank you, Catherine. If you don't remember, Lizzie has the cutest little British accent. Um, so you get to hear her lovely voice again, which I know you're excited for. Um, but last time Lizzie was on, we talked about how she was a student athlete, um, and how you played, you did D one track and field, right. Mm-hmm. Or cross country. Both. Both. Okay. There is no off season for a distance runner. <laughs> there is no off season. That is true. I feel like anytime I've talked to someone who was an athlete in college, it's like a full-time job. Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah. Yes. Um, so I would love for you to kind of share a little bit deeper into like your journey as an athlete and then kind of how it like when your when and how your perspective shifted into like negatively viewing your body. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So everything you said in the beginning of the podcast episode is so true. Um, I definitely don't want people listening if it's going to be triggering or if you're like, well, let's just see how it goes. Like, please honor what you're needing in the moment. Um, I was telling Catherine before, I, I don't like talking about this stuff because it is kind of depressing and sad. Um, But I think it's important to share stories so that other people don't feel alone, like you said, Catherine, and to just like raise awareness and understanding of how like, how people can be impacted Mm -hmm. by a lot of things and how eating disorders can develop. Um, And also like recognizing that they do serve a function at some point until they don't. So anyway, Uh, Back to the beginning. So I started running. So I would just like to say, like, as a kid, I innately loved movement. I loved being outside. I was always climbing trees and lampposts and swing sets, much to the dismay of my parents. Um, And I I was just always like, go, 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 staring out the window, not paying attention um, in class. And So like, even when we lived in England, like I loved running, tag was always my favorite game. 
so when I was in England, I wanted to join a running club, but in England, they don't really let you join competitive running clubs until you're at least 14. At least that's how it was back in the day. I don't know if that's the case anymore. America is the complete opposite. Like kids start running straight out the womb sometimes. <laughs> so when we moved to New York, when I was like nine, um, I joined a little run club and it wasn't intense. And then I actually got bored of it because I was like, well, I got a little bit better, but like, I'm not having fun anymore because I'm not improving. I was a very serious child (laughs) and very competitive as a kid. So in my mind, it was like, well, if I like, if I'm not training to win, then why am I doing this kind of thing? Like I just innately had that mindset that summer, a new coach came on and some of my friends were still on the team and they were running with her. And they enjoyed it because she pushed them a little bit more, but then she ended up getting let go from the team. And this should have been a red flag. She ended up getting let go from the team because parents were complaining of child abuse. But apparently, I don't know, my mom heard that and was like, wow, she must be the real deal. Uh, Let's get you signed up. Oh, she seems super great, like in the beginning. Um, And me and my friends loved running with her. And I obviously loved running so I was like well I like you know that I'm being pushed and blah 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 um but it was way too much for a 10 year old but me being competitive and my mom seeing how much I like to compete didn't want to get in the way of that and I ran the 3k and um I broke the record for my age group and I remember that being the moment like the specific moment where I was like I'm in this now for the long haul like I can see what I can do and Mm -hmm. I want to see how far I can go like no matter what which is what a lot of athletes <laughs> uh, think. That's, I mean, that is the athlete mindset, right? Like I'm going to push my body and my mind. I'm going to see how far I can go um, and how good I can be no matter the cost, which is what gets a lot of athletes in hot water with both physical injuries and mental illness. It's funny how like those moments like boldly stick out to you because it truly is like a switch flipped in your brain. Like, and it's almost like this is shifting from merely like fun Mm -hmm. to a job. Like we talked about earlier, like this is like what I'm committing my like time, energy, everything to as like end goal. Yeah. So, so from there you ran, I'm sure you like kept running through high school. What happened when you got to college like when you got to that extra level so I think like the eating disorder started when I was in high school oh okay I thought it started in college no uh it definitely like came out full force in college and morphed throughout college but it definitely started in high school so um fast forward a little bit by the time I was a freshman in high school um Disa was living with me and my mom in Queens and so she became like very very controlling of like me and what I could do but also of my food intake so she read she didn't even read this book she read the back of this book called the paleo diet for athletes which was written by like some 40 year old man Mm -hmm. so it was not meant well honestly it should not be like no athlete should follow that in my opinion as a sports dietitian now um but definitely not meant for like a teenage runner girl. Mm-hmm. 
so like from the get-go my intake was very restricted like she basically only let me have meat fruit and veggies and like nuts and trail mix um like were allowed but after like the first year then she decided like I couldn't have too much of that because I was (laughs) uh I'm about to mention some numbers so again if this is triggering just skip over this or stop listening um but because I was quote unquote getting too fat. And at this point, I think I was like five, two and 85 pounds. <gasps> and yep. those words were used. Yeah. Oh, that makes me sick. Yep. Um, and I didn't like at the time, I didn't think any, like I didn't pay too much attention. You know, I was like, well, you know, okay. Uh, I'm kind of hungry like all the time. <laughs> but if this is what I have to do to get better, then I'll do it. So I started developing survival behaviors because I was ravenous throughout the day and feeling lightheaded in practice. So I would literally like uh, take bathroom breaks in class in school and just go and scrounge my hallway for loose change so that I can go, I could go get a bag of animal crackers from the vending machine. Oh, my heart. I know. Um, and like, if it was the end of the year and we had like parties and people brought in food, I would just like stash them, like take copious amounts of food and like napkins and stash them in my backpack. And my bed at home had like an underbed storage. And this is how paranoid I was because she would go through my room, Oh my goodness! Um, but I would bring out the drawers under my bed and like hide them in the very back bottom of the drawers under my bed. Oh my gosh. That makes yeah. me so sad. It was pretty sad. <laughs> um, and annoying. Like it sucks feeling like food isn't safe in your own house. Yeah. Um, really like any chance I could get to like get something that had carbohydrates. And at the time, like I didn't have any nutrition education, so I didn't even realize like the foods I was going for were starchy foods they were just foods that I knew my body was innately craving which is another reason why I strongly believe your body always knows what it wants so not only did I learn or was I conditioned really to hide food and to put food on a pedestal but I also learned to eat food as quickly as possible no matter how full or uncomfortable I felt because I didn't know the next time I was going to be allowed to have it so it wasn't like self-imposed restriction it was very much like external restriction so like every time I had those foods like it was like a rush you know um like not only like oh my god my body has been craving this but also like an adrenaline rush because I'm like oh I'm not supposed to be doing this and here I am doing it you know yeah it's like rebellion yes exactly and rebellion really defined my freshman year of college (laughs) so when I went off to college I mean people would ask me you know, what are you most excited about going off to Auburn? And I would look them dead in the face, a hundred percent serious and just say sandwiches. Oh my gosh. Yeah. You were excited to not have like constant supervision when it comes to what you put in your mouth. Yes. Um, and looking back on it now, like if I asked my high school athletes, what are you most excited about for college? And they said sandwiches. I would immediately be like, what is going on at home? What is happening? Hmm. So then I went off to college and, you know, unlimited meal plan, dining court right outside my dorm. Um, I basically binged 
like almost every day. Um, but I didn't, I wouldn't say it was an objective binge really at the time because I didn't feel any guilt or shame after it. Um, like if anything, I felt proud because I was like, look how small I am and look how much food I can put down. So obviously my body started to change. <laughs> um, if anything, I, what, I moved closer to a more appropriate weight range, but that's not what people saw. When in reality, what was actually happening was, oh, her body hasn't been getting enough for four years and now she's finally able to get it. And so that like she she psychologically is trying to make up for all those years that have basically been lost. Um, someone get her a therapist. Yeah, <laughs> and, exactly. Yeah. But instead, everyone was like, oh, you know, uh, your spandex are looking kind of tight. You uh, think maybe you should run a couple extra miles or just like comments like that. And then um, I went back home to New York for Christmas break my freshman year everyone had a comment about how my body had changed, um, mostly negative. And so then I had conflicting emotions because I felt very guilty and ashamed because I knew my body had changed. But some part of me was also like, but this is healthy now. Like I was too frail before and now I actually feel stronger. Even mm. if I am a bit slower, like I feel physically stronger. Um, but everyone is telling me like, I'm, I'm slower and I'm like jeopardizing my scholarship and I, I don't look like a runner anymore. But so then I really internalized those negative body image messages. And also like my teammates had some body image stuff going on. So, and then also just to hear them talk about their bodies in that way. Cause I was like, you guys are talking about your bodies like Deesa talks about bodies and that's like really shitty like that's really mean but then I was also like but I get it I guess like if you guys are doing it and you're my teammates then like I guess it's normal and maybe I should start doing it mm. you know yeah, it like becomes like the new norm and unfortunately right. as unfortunately society like you see it all throughout the media. I mean, even Kim Kardashian at the Met Gala was like, I had to lose 16 pounds to fit into this dress. Like you hear like small comments like that. And after, after like such, after an extended period of time, hearing the same style of comments, mm -hmm. you start to think like you start to, your brain rewires into thinking that way. Exactly. Yeah. And if you tell someone something often enough, no matter how false they think it is they will start believing it just because they for sure that much yeah and so that's basically what happened to me with Lisa and then also my time at college and there's actually some really interesting research coming out that shows that teammates are the biggest contributing factor to attitudes around food and body image yeah Oh, I believe it. Yeah, I mean, I our community, our community, whoever we surround ourselves with has the power to like destroy us or build us up. It's mm -hmm. like one or the other. Yes. Yeah. I found that out in college. So then I started restricting myself because I was like, oh, well, I can't keep doing this because if I like, if I don't improve in my running and I don't perform well, I'm going to lose my scholarship. And then I'm going to go back to New York and I'm going to have to be with DC again. And I can't do that. So, I mean, even there, like that's problematic. Like my main motivator was not because I loved my sport, was not because I 
wanted to like go to NCAAs. It was purely to avoid the abusive situation that I was in before I went to college. Like fear was my motivator for most of my athletic career, which is really mm. sad. I just developed very orthorexic tendencies yeah. throughout the summer. And then when I went back to New York over the summer, Disa had me on an additional plan of like swimming in the morning plus running in the afternoon plus I was working for the New York Roadrunners so as soon as I'd finish my workout I would go and help kids like run for fun but I was still like running around and everything definitely not eating enough um I lost my menstrual cycle for a couple of months and then like my athletic trainer was like well you know that happens sometimes, which again, that needs to stop. That is not anything anyone should strive for. But at the, like I knew some of my other teammates didn't get their period. So I was like, wow, look at how disciplined and dedicated I am. Now I don't have Yeah. Yeah. You're like, um, oh, cool. Like I'm, I now measure up. Like I'm at the right. same level. Yes, exactly. I started eating a little bit more because again, by this point I knew enough about nutrition, like, well, it's probably related to like my very strict low fat <laughs> diet so I started including like some more nut butters and then I came back and it was still very irregular and then I started having um like binge urges and and now it was getting into more of the binging because now when I did overeat like very quickly within a short amount of time a very large amount of food I would feel guilty and ashamed afterwards so that was the change that happened from freshman to sophomore year I think freshman year was more so like a rebound from the imposed restriction from someone else. Sophomore year, I was rebounding from my own self-imposed restriction, i.e. an eating disorder. Yeah. (laughs) Ding, ding, ding. (laughs) So like because of the guilt and shame, I didn't, uh, like I wasn't proud of how much food I could eat anymore. Like I wanted to hide it because there was guilt and shame. Mm-hmm. that also was a big change from freshman year so I mean that's when like the anxiety and depression kind of started to develop as well by the time I was a junior I was kind of a mess I had spent the summer with a teammate out in Colorado um, I came back to campus super fit I was in a pretty decent place mentally and physically but as the season was progressing, I was getting slower and I was also feeling way more fatigued. My muscles were aching for no reason. I was starting to have muscle spasms. Um, but so I got all these tests done and they all came back normal. And then I was talking to like the head sports physician, whatever. And he was like, have you been spelunking? And I was like, I don't even know what that is. And he was like, do you visit caves? <laughs> I was like, no. He was like, did you go anywhere over the summer? And I was like, well, I went to Maine and I was like running in the forest there. And then, cause my dad moved to Maine um, and I went to Colorado for a summer and I was, was running out there and he was like, oh, okay. Have you like noticed any like bullseye mix on your body? And I was like, no, I'm like the most oblivious person ever. But he tested me for tick diseases anyway, just to be case, just to be safe. And it turned out I had Lyme disease. Hmm which was awful, (laughs) especially when nobody believes you. Um, So I had, I had to get on a course of antibiotics and also like right before I got diagnosed with that, my mom got diagnosed with triple negative breast cancer. 
Oh. Yeah. So um, I went up to New York for Thanksgiving because she was having surgery. Um, came back to uh, college in January. Was doing like a formal easy run with the girls in the morning. And then my left hip started hurting like a lot. And it wasn't just a muscle strain, you know, like when you've been running for 10 years, you know, your body, like, you know, it is a muscle versus a bone versus something else. And this was something else. Like it, I, it hurt so much that, and not even when I was moving, like when I was just sitting down, my hip was hurting. I, well, I had a dream one night that I got shot in the hip because it hurt so much. It was excruciating. And then I woke up because it was so painful. I was like, oh, thank God it was just a dream. But then I was like, but wait, my hip still literally feels like a bullet is in it. Like it is, it was horrible. So sorry, we got cut off. I am cheap and did not pay for the premium Zoom over 40 minute situation. So um, sorry if it felt feels a little choppy in the editing, but same day, we just had to send a new link because we're working that system. Um, so Lizzie was just talking about her hip, um, feeling excruciating pain, how she had a dream about um, feeling like she got shot and then waking up and feeling like there was a bullet in her hip. Um, so proceed from there. <laughs> yeah. So then I had a scan done after several months of people continuing to, to dismiss me. Um and turns out I had a torn hip labrum. So that's when your cartilage is supposed to be in like a circle like this and uh, it's broken like that. You guys can't see listening, I'm giving a visual. Um, so I had to get hip surgery. Like I'm not gonna uh, be able to run. Um, I don't even have to worry about fitting into like my spandex shorts or my running uniform or like my racing uniform. So, and I was also just like so depressed by this point um, with so many, like my mom uh, issues with like my coaches and athletic trainers and not being believed. Um, friendships were kind of taking a turn for the worst. I just like that was just like the summer of binging for me and again I was isolating I was very depressed I didn't know what any of these things were or like I couldn't even identify that I was depressed at the time I was just like I don't feel like being around anyone I'm so ashamed of what my body looks like I'm ashamed of how I've been eating I feel so guilty that I let my team down because I can't run this is all my fault blah 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 like it was very negative self-talk like I don't think I had one positive thing to say or even neutral thing to say about like myself, my body, my situation, like that whole summer. It was very sad. And so my coach, my senior year was basically like, you turn 21 this year, just go and have fun. Um, it's your last year. Like you've been through a lot. Mom getting cancer, Lyme disease and not being relieved torn hip labrum and not being believed now I genuinely was trying to come back like to do something for my team so um I went and did stuff I was actually I'm proud of myself for doing this I went and did stuff that I didn't have the time to do as an athlete so like I went to French club I went and hang out with my friends who were not athletes um I went on some weekend trips 
people do feel that way. Like when you have an eating disorder and especially if there's binging happening, it often feels like your whole life revolves around food. And there's so much guilt and shame around that because society tells us, well, demonizes food so much, right? And so it's like the complete opposite of what you think is healthy, but at the same time, you have no other way to cope. Like you cannot even think of using anything else to cope. Exactly. And like food is such an intricate part of how you plan your day too. Whether it's, you know, let's meet for lunch with friends or Mm -hmm. let's go grab dinner for your birthday. Like it's Mm -hmm. always typically around centered around a meal. And so when you wake, I remember waking up in the mornings and feeling that same thought, especially if I had plans of like, how am I going to escape this? How am I going to work around this? How am I going to like, what plan can I put into place to make sure like I quote unquote, stay on track? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that is like all consuming because it, yes. it really, you are really so, um, consumed, I guess is the word by your eating disorder that you can't be present anywhere else. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. And um, that's a perfect example of how, like, like eating disorders can stem from a very similar issue or issues, but they present um, differently. Or even it can even be the same situation, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, when I was in restrictive mindset, I was very hyper aware and anxious about going out to eat with people because, like you said, I wanted to stay on track. I didn't want to get outside of my calorie or like macro targets. By the time I was a senior. I didn't want to eat around people because I was so terrified that I would lose my shit around them and I would binge in front of them. Yeah. Or I was like so guilty and ashamed of what, of my body and what it looked like. And I feel like crying now because I'm like, my body went through so much. Like why did, why was I treating it like that? Um, but that's what eating disorders do. Like they're assholes. So yeah, like I definitely avoided social situations with food. Um, part of it was the depression and isolation. A big part of it too was just feeling like I wouldn't be able to control myself around food and how other people would react. And that was like not, I wasn't going to do that. That was not in, in, that wasn't on the agenda. So then I uh went down to the track and basically broke down in front of one of my athletic trainers and just like blurted out like this is everything that I've been holding on to for the last four years and I think I need help um I don't know what to do I'm so sorry uh I'm a horrible person I'm a horrible athlete I don't deserve to be here um blah 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 blah, 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 blah. and she was very supportive mm-hmm. And she was like one of the few people that I felt safe with. Then I got tired of feeling so tired. Um, I didn't get matched to a dietetic internship my senior year. And that was really a blessing in disguise that I didn't get matched because, oh man, I don't even want to think about what would have happened if I had gone straight from undergrad to a dietetic internship. Like I would have imploded even more. I had no idea what I was going to do, but all I knew was that whatever it was I chose to do was going to be better than whatever I had been doing the last two or three years. Yeah, it had to be. Exactly. Like I I hit my rock bottom and I was like, I'm not, I'm not staying here and I'm not like wasting my life anymore. I have to figure it out. And so 
that was my year in the woods and it was painful. Like it is painful. And I don't like, I think, um, it's difficult to understand eating disorders unless you've been there or if you have a loved one who has been there. And I really feel for my clients who struggle with, I, I feel for all of my clients, obviously, like, I feel like I've been through the ring, the multitude of <laughs> restriction, binging. But I, again, this is a distinct memory that I have when I was in the woods. I had probably been there for like two or three weeks. And I was really trying to like eat consistently throughout the day and not binge. And I was allowing myself to get foods that I enjoyed. Um, and I remember like standing in my room and I, <laughs> I had bagels and like blueberry cream cheese. And I, the urge to just like have the, the five other bagels and all the cream cheese and like everything that I had in my freezer was so strong. And I was writing it out on my own in my room. It literally felt like detox. Like that's what I imagine detox to feel like. Like it felt like my body was ripping itself apart on the inside. It was so uncomfortable mm -hmm. to not go through with that urge. And like, uh, I feel like the only people who really know what I'm talking about are the ones who have been there. Like, uh, it's like the, the itchiest itch and you're trying so hard not to scratch it and it feels like you're gonna die. That's what, that's what. And it's like, it feels like you're gonna die if you give in and it feels <laughs> like if you give in, you're gonna feel pain. Right, yes. No way out. Yeah. Or it, it feels like you're gonna die if you don't give in and then if you do give in, it feels like you're gonna die. Yes. Yeah, that's what I meant to say. Yeah, but I did it and I, that was, the only time it felt that uncomfortable and then I used that right I was like if I can make it through that if I can sit through that urge when it's that strong I can do it again yeah exactly and that is, like that a is push yes and that is where I think the athlete mindset comes in handy a lot of my clients are resilient most of my most of my clients are some of the most resilient people I know like uh they've been through trauma they've been through the shit uh, they didn't have support they struggle with depression, anxiety. They were probably suicidal and had multiple attempts at some point. And they're still here. Like they're still showing up. And that's amazing. I think athletes don't learn that there are other options. And I think like the increase that we've seen in suicides, like a lot more athletes have been taking their own lives um, is because of that. And at the same time, they have the tools to make it out. Like if they're in a hole, they have one of like the most resilient mentalities out there, you know, like to make it that far in sport, you have something that a lot of people don't just innately, like yeah. nobody taught you this, you, you know, um, and it's really sad that a lot of them don't or like a not, we're not taught how to use those tools to take care of ourselves. Like it's beaten into us to use those tools to put others first, to put our sport first, to put our performance first at all costs. And there was a really good quote that's been going around Instagram. If we don't put the person before the student and the athlete, we're at risk of losing all three. Mm. 
And it's so true. So good. Yeah. Man, you have been through it, dude. But like what I gather from that is, yeah, like you were just saying about athletes is you are resilient. And even though at times you might've felt, um, so weak, there was still some sort of, there was still some piece of strength in you that kept you going. And typically in any like transformational season, it starts with like a rock bottom moment and you just happen to have like six. You know what I mean? Like, so it was like, there was no, it can't get any worse. So like, what can I do to overcome now? Like, you know, now I have the tools and obviously have seen the worst, so it can only get better from here. How can I do it? Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah, Yeah. So a lot of listeners are probably like, honestly, a lot of people are still holding on because they haven't hit that, that rock bottom moment. And like, it will come, but like our encouragement to you, and I know you would agree with me on this is like, don't let it come. Like you can shift the mindset now to, Mm -hmm. like you said, it's like a mental game. You can shift your mindset now to live out like your full potential and your body's full potential. Um, now, like you don't have to hit that rock bottom moment. You can start now and not have to experience that kind of depth of pain. Yes. And you don't have to wait until you break to ask for support. Like if I I wish that's why like my life matter, I think I said in on the last episode, like my like uh I don't know ethos is like be who you needed when you were younger. Because I did not know. Like I didn't know um I mean, on the inside, I knew that I had an eating disorder, but I hadn't like accepted it. But we didn't get any education. Like the only education I got was that like a one 45 minute class in my whole four year education. But like our athletics department didn't talk about it. Our sports dietitian didn't talk about it. Um, It was very like, oh, you know, these things, if you do these things with food, it might be a little weird, you know, talk with someone about it, but nobody wants to talk with someone about it because we know it's just going to be judgmental or like not, it's going to be one of those situations where it's like, I hear you, but you know, like you're not actually hearing me then. (laughs) Like, yeah. And that's the thing too, is we convince ourselves that it'll be judgmental, but there are people in our lives who you can share with and like people who you trust and who like Mm -hmm. know you and see you. And, and then you'll be so shocked when you tell them and they're like, all right, I love you. Like, what can we do Mm -hmm. without judgment? And those are the people like, you know, who they are in your life, like who you can tell and feel safe with. Yeah. It's okay to get help for that. Like if I had had someone tell me, I mean, that's what my athletic trainer told me when I broke down to her, right? She was like, you know, it might be helpful to see someone like, I think they can really help you like talk through some of this stuff and just like get it out. Um, and I was like, Oh, I didn't think that was an option. <laughs> like I would don't want to be perceived as weak or blah, blah, blah. Um, yeah. you know, but like, you don't have to do it on your own. You also are not alone. There are a lot of people with similar experiences and similar feelings. Um, and it doesn't, it makes you human. Oh man. I feel like I could like talk to you forever about this stuff just because I can, I, I feel like I can relate to a lot, not, not the athlete part, but just like a lot of the thought process, but I have to pick up my son from daycare. <laughs> <laughs> I 
know this went way longer than I thought it would. Thank you for listening. But I loved it. I loved hearing more about like, like an in-depth of your story. And I know like people will be encouraged by it, you know? So sometimes it is therapeutic to just share every detail too and reflect and hear like, hear how far you've come. When you share the little things, you're like, wow, I didn't even know her. Like I couldn't even recognize her now. Like I have like overcome so much. She would be so proud of where we've gotten to, you know? So like I, you should be proud of like how much you've overcome. Oh, good. I am. (laughs) Yeah. Like uh, it's, it's been several years. It's been a while now. Um, but I mean, it does like looking back on your story and I'm sure like this is true for you as well, but when you look back on your own story, it really helps you build empathy for and understand other people. Totally. Yeah. And honestly, that is like 90% of the reason why I do what I do. Yeah. Is there is such a need and like, I remember what it felt like to be not heard and not seen. And I like it breaks my head, you know, and I don't want anyone else to ever feel that. So if you're listening and you do feel like that, you can reach out for support. If you're in Wilmington and you're looking for resources, you can always shoot me an email or a DM, the Recovered Athlete on Instagram. I would be happy to help provide any support in any way. Yeah. And I'll link all that in the show notes so that they can like easily click that if you want to reach out to Lizzie, but yeah, thank you so much for sharing your story, girl. Thanks for having me. It's kind of depressing, but stories need to No, be it's, it's, <laughs> it's hopeful because there's, yeah. there's a way out, you know, there is always a way out. There's always a way out. All through. All right, listeners. I love you. And I will talk to you next week. Bye. Whoa.